Uh, readings from Matthew 15, 29 to 39. <clears throat> Excuse me. Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the cripple made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they praised the God of Israel. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have a confession, sorry, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. His disciples answered, where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? How many loaves do you have, Jesus asked. Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish, and when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and they in turn to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was 4,000, besides women and children. After Jesus had sent the crowd away, he got into the boat and went to the vicinity of Magadan. The second reading is from Matthew 16, verses 1 to 12. And in this Bible here, it's headed, The Demand for a Sign. The Pharisees and Sadducees came and to test Jesus. They asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, saying, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. And an evil and adulterous gen generation asks for a sign. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. Then he left them and went away. The next one's headed the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, Watch out and beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They said to one another, It is because we have brought no bread. And becoming aware of it, Jesus said, O oh, you of little faith, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the five thousand, and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the four thousand, and how many baskets you gathered? How could you fail to perceive that I was not speaking about bread? Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he had not told them to beware of the yeast of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. If you've been with us over the last uh, few Sunday mornings, uh, you will know that we are... <clears throat> uh, that's the text for the year, in case you've uh, forgotten it. But we started this new series uh, for the new year, which we're calling uh, Dysfunctionals Disciples. 
And uh, we're looking through uh, Matthew's Gospel, working our way uh, through different stories and accounts of Matthew's Gospels. And we're seeing incidents where uh, the disciples were dysfunctional. And uh, through their mistakes and through the things that they had to learn, uh, we're hoping that we also will be able to learn from them. Uh, We began with uh, dissatisfied disciples. We were looking at Jesus calling the disciples and we said it wasn't about loose change. Uh, It wasn't about overnight change, but it was about a change of direction. And we talked about Jesus' call to repentance. And it was about a change of mind and a change of the behavior which will hopefully change our world. And then we were looking at despairing disciples and we were on the, uh, uh, the Sea of Galilee with Jesus and the disciples and the storm came. And we said following Jesus doesn't mean there won't be a cost. And we talked about the cost of discipleship. We said that following Jesus doesn't mean that we won't get caught in a storm. And we recognize that many of us uh, face storms in our lives. But we said that despairing disciples... Understand that following Jesus means trusting the one who has the power to calm the storm. And then we looked at disoriented disciples. And once again, we were on the lake, uh, this time with Peter, uh, walking on water. And we said that disoriented disciples uh, go beyond their comfort zone. They move out of their comfort zone. Uh, disoriented disciples sometimes get that sinking feeling. Uh, and Peter experienced that. But they also get that uplifted feeling. And uh, they get that title of little faith. But we said that a little faith can go a long way in that Peter actually walked on water, even though it was only for a few moments. And then last week we were looking at disgruntled disciples and we were talking about a break from tradition. And we saw the uh, Pharisees criticizing Jesus for the fact that his disciples didn't wash their hands. And we saw that Jesus was breaking from tradition. Uh, We saw that... uh, that uh, disgruntled disciples are seeing but not always believing, that they saw what Jesus was doing but they didn't believe who he was. And we saw that disgruntled disciples, that you are what you speak. And we talked about the fact that Jesus said, it isn't the things, external things that affect us, but it's the things that come from our hearts. And uh, what we speak uh, tells an awful lot about who we are. Well, this week we're, uh, we're continuing to think about... Uh, uh, dysfunctional disciples, and this week we're thinking about dismissive disciples. And we're recognizing with all these dysfunctional disciples, uh, dissatisfied, despairing, uh, disorientated, that, that, that this is us, that we are all these things that the disciples were, and we are all these things. And dismissive disciples, and uh, we're beginning by thinking about uh, the story of uh, Jesus feeding the 4,000. Um, and the first thing that I want to say is dismissive disciples have seen it all before. Dismissive disciples have seen it all before. The disciples had seen uh, Jesus feeding the crowds before. Uh, we looked at it a few weeks ago when we were thinking about uh, Peter walking on water, we also referred to the the feeding of the 5,000. The disciples had been there, had seen it, they had experienced it. Um, But maybe uh, the fact that they'd seen it before, it had lost something of the fascination uh, it lost something of the of the wow factor. The amazing multiplying meal uh, 
was something that they had seen before. And yet, even though they'd seen it before, uh, they don't seem to have learnt. I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and I have, and have nothing to eat. I don't want them to say, send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. And the disciples respond by saying, where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? Hmm, I wonder, where could they go to get bread to feed such a crowd? Even though they'd seen it all before, it seems that they had quickly forgotten that Jesus was able to provide. And I wonder whether we're the same, you know, uh, are we a people that have seen it all before? I don't know, I, I, I see things and, uh, you know, sometimes I, I'm, I'm very blessed and I, I get the opportunity to go and watch my favourite football team. Uh, and at the moment, the problem is that my favourite football team keeps losing. But even if I go and watch them lose, for some reason I still have to watch it again on match of the day, just to check, uh, you know, that they did lose and, and, and to be able to analyse it. Uh, I, I've seen it before. Uh, but there's a sense in which I need to see it again. And I wonder, just because we've seen it before, uh, it doesn't mean anything unless we learn from the lessons. The disciples come to Jesus and say, where are we going to get food to feed such a crowd? It was only two chapters previously where they had almost exactly the same conversation. And Jesus says to them, how many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. It's almost exactly the same conversation. They've seen it all before. Next year, uh, believe it or not, I will have been a Baptist minister for 20 years. You say to yourself, Richard, you don't look old enough. <laughs> I started very young. <laughs> but I will have been a minister for 20 years, and I've, I've ministered in, in, in four different churches. And the thing is, sometimes you meet characters in church... And you think, I've met you before. I've seen this person before. I've met a similar character in a different church. But the point is, have I learnt anything from meeting the same characters? Do I continue to make the same mistakes uh, but with different people? Or do I learn from what I've seen before? It would seem that the disciples, although they've seen Jesus uh, do all these wonderful miracles, um, are quite slow to learn. They've seen it all before. And there's a sense in which sometimes, you know, when we've seen something before, we might be dismissive of it. Because, yeah, oh yeah, we've seen this before. Or we might forget that we've seen it before. You might look at me and, and, and think, well, we've had several ministers here and we've seen ministers like you before. Uh, <clears throat> the question is, have you learned anything? Uh, only you can uh, can say that. So the, the, the disciples, dismissive disciples, have seen it all before. They've seen it all before. And then, of course, uh, the Pharisees and, and Sadducees turn up, and uh, they've also seen it all before, haven't they? They've they've seen Jesus uh, doing these miraculous things, and their response is to say. The Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. They've seen it before, but it's not enough. They want to see more. 
They want proof. They come to Jesus and they say, give us a sign. And Jesus' answer is interesting, isn't it? Because he says, when evening comes, you say, it'll be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, today it will be stormy for the sky is red and overcast. You know, red sky at night, shepherd's delight. Red sky in the morning, shepherd's warning. You know it, you know it, yeah? And Jesus is basically saying, look, you see the signs around you and you interpret them and you read them. And yet you can't see what I'm doing and who I am. Last week we were thinking about this, the Pharisees, you know, and Jesus called them blind guides. And we said that seeing doesn't always result in believing. And we see it again here. They demand a sign from Jesus. And of course we still have people, uh, Christians around today, who want to demand a sign from God. People who are demanding in their prayers of God, people who, who demand that God give them some sort of sign, uh, otherwise we're not going to believe. Uh, seeing isn't always believing. They've seen it all before, but it doesn't seem to have helped them in their understanding of who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing. So, because we've seen something before, unless we learn from it, we will perhaps need to see it again and again and again before it finally sinks in. So dismissive disciples, they've seen it all before, but they've also heard it all before. Dismissive disciples have, have heard it all before. And uh, you might think, well, we've heard it all before. Uh, and there's a sense in which we have, haven't we? Uh, especially when we come to the more familiar uh, stories in the Bible, it's very easy to be dismissive and think, well, I know this story. There's nothing new that I can learn from this story. I've heard it all before. And uh, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, you of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? You see, they have heard it all before. They've even heard that phrase... You of little faith, if you've been following us through this series, this is the third time just in this series of sermons that this phrase has turned up. On the storm, when Jesus was asleep and he wakes them, he says to them, you of little faith. When Peter walks out to him on the water and starts sinking, he says to Peter, you of little faith. And here, after the feeding of the 4,000, that same phrase... You of little faith. You see, Jesus was a good teacher. And good teachers realise that you can't give people a lesson just once and expect them to take it all in. You have to repeat things time and time again. And Jesus does that in his teaching. He says, you of little faith. And perhaps... He says that not because he's wanting to criticise the disciples or, or put them down or make them feel small, but because he's wanting them to realise that the little faith that they have is enough if they put it in a big God. We have a big God. God isn't looking for people with huge amounts of faith. He's looking for people who will put that little faith that they have in a big God. He's saying to his disciples, you know, you still haven't learned. 
you of little faith. And that's us, isn't it? We are a people, if we're honest, of little faith. We need to hear the same lessons time and time again. That's the way that we learn, isn't it? Anybody, I don't, I mean, maths is, is beyond me now. Uh, you know, I, I, I've got past the stage of being able to help my children with maths because I don't really understand the way that they do it now. When I went to school, anybody learn their times table? Anybody learns a times table? You know, one seven seven, two sevens are fourteen, three sevens are twenty-one, four sevens are twenty-eight. You see, I can still do it because that's what we did in class, isn't it? We just said it over and over and over again because that's the way that it goes in. We're asking people to do the same with our text for the year. We're asking people to memorise it. And of course, the way to memorise something is to read it again and again and again and again in the hope that eventually it will sink in. And Jesus uses exactly the same method with the disciples. He tells them the same things again and again and again. And if you're a parent or a teacher, you'll know that sometimes that can be quite exhausting and trying, especially when you have to tell your child or your pupil for the umpteen time that you're not to put your feet on the table or whatever else it is that they keep on doing. You Sometimes you have to repeat it. And here in this passage we see, although they've heard it all before, they still haven't learned the lesson. And we have to be this careful of dismissing whether it's the preacher or the story in the Bible or whoever, thinking, we've heard this all before. We know all that. Tell us something new. Well, folks, I, I haven't got anything new to tell you, actually, because it's all here. Uh, all we can do is keep going back to the Bible and trying to learn the same lessons in the hope that eventually we will learn and the penny will drop and it will sink in. Sometimes we only learn, don't we, by hearing it again and again. A young man was appointed to the uh, presidency of a, of a bank as a tender At the tender age of 32, the promotion was far beyond his wildest dreams and very frightening to him. So he went to the old chairman of the board to ask for advice on how to become a good bank president. What's the most important thing to me to do as a new president? He asked the older man. Make right decisions, was the gentleman's advice. The young man thought about this for a moment and said, thank you very much, this is very helpful, but can you be a bit more specific? How do I make right decisions? The wise old man answered, experience. Exasperated, the young president said, but sir, that's why I'm here. I don't have the experience, I need to make the right decisions. How do I get experience? Wrong decisions, replied the old man. Very often, we learn by making mistakes. And here the disciples have to learn the hard lesson. They go to Jesus and once again they've completely misunderstood what Jesus is talking about. They're worried about the fact that he's, he's having a go at them because uh, they think they've, they've forgotten to bring the bread. And they completely miss the point. I don't know about you, but I find it quite encouraging that a group of people who have followed Jesus... Uh, For quite some time I've seen miraculous things, great healings, uh, nature ministries, and yet they still fail to get it. I find that quite encouraging. I find that quite encouraging because when sometimes I get it wrong or sometimes it doesn't quite sink in, I think, well, I'm not in bad company because these disciples walked with Jesus. They experienced everything. They saw everything. They heard everything. 
and yet they still didn't always get what Jesus was on about. And we are foolish if we are dismissive. And we think that, well, we've seen it all before. Uh, We've heard it all before. We're waiting for some new person to come along with some new teaching uh, that can excite us and and entertain us. And uh, Jesus gives them that same lesson. They've heard it all before. Dismissive disciples have heard it all before. Uh, Krish Kandai, in his book, Disciples, says this, Many of us today switch off because our minds are so overcrowded with the mundane and practical that we forget God's supernatural sovereignty and how he has come through for us in the past. Others of us switch off because, like the Pharisees, we are refusing to cooperate unless God intervenes on demand. And what Chris is doing is making the comparison between the disciples and the Pharisees. The disciples don't ask for the miracle in the feeding of the 4,000. They say, where are we going to get bread? The Pharisees are demanding, give us a miracle, give us a sign. And Chris is saying, we've got to be careful that we, we don't fall into either of those traps. That we don't feel that, so uh, sceptical that God can't do anything miraculous. And we forget to pray for God to heal and for God to intervene because we no longer think God can do it. But also, we shouldn't be people that say, unless God does this, unless God does that, then I'm not going to believe. And can you, can you see that there's a, there's a wrongness in, in both uh, situations? The Pharisees and Sadducees come and they demand a sign. The disciples forget to ask for a sign. And we can do both, can't we? We can forget to ask for God to intervene and we can also demand. And we can be dismissive in both situations, can't we? We continue to pray for the miraculous. But we don't demand. I've met people in, in, in churches who, who chase after the miraculous as if that's all there is to God. And if God's not doing a miracle, then they're going to go somewhere else where the miraculous is happening. People travel all over the world to, to see the miraculous. People, you know, people have made voyages to Toronto and to Florida and all sorts of places seeking the miraculous, chasing after uh, the miracles. Uh, so people are still demanding of a sign. And of course, the Pharisees are critical of, of Jesus again. They're testing him. They're wanting to test Jesus. And there's a sense in which sometimes we do that. You know, in our prayers, we, it comes down to the fact that we sometimes pray like that if we're not careful. You know, God, if you're really there, do this. Do that. Uh, you know, we have so many things on demand now, don't we? You know, you can get television on demand. You can get food on demand. And the danger is that we think God is on demand. That all we have to do is, is instruct God what to do and he'll do it. And again, it's a reversal of, you know, we forget sometimes who's in charge. We come to God on our knees, humbly, uh, awestruck by what he has done for us. And yes, we can plead with him. We can ask. Uh, but we mustn't demand. We mustn't demand. So dismissive disciples have, have heard it, have seen it all before, they've heard it all before. 
don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? And of course, the theologians get very excited when, when numbers are mentioned. You know, there were 12 baskets left over. Let me think now. There were 12 tribes of, of Israel. Uh, is, is Jesus making a connection? And I'm sure there is something in it. Don't get me wrong. And here there's, there were seven pieces of bread and seven baskets left over. And some people suggest that, you know, when Jesus did the miracle of the 5,000, it was actually on the opposite side of the lake, which was uh, where the Jews lived. And now he travels to the other side of the lake where there were more Gentiles living and maybe the seven baskets represented, you know, there was seven days in which Jesus created the world. So maybe Jesus is wanting to say that actually the bread that I have isn't just for the Jews, but it's for the whole world. And I'm sure there is something of that in certainly Jesus was always reaching out to the people that the Jews didn't recognize and Jesus was always getting into trouble. Uh, Last week we were thinking about Jesus getting in trouble because he was breaking away from the traditions of the Jews. Have you noticed the Pharisees are always complaining and pointing out what Jesus is doing wrong and how easy and it seems to come more easy to us, doesn't it, to complain about when something goes wrong, doesn't it? You know, it's easy... Uh, you know, it's easy to point out, you know, when, when something goes wrong. And people do, don't they? You know, um, if something goes wrong with the, the worship group, you know, uh, it's, you know, we might make a comment about it, but how many times do we say well done and thank you and how wonderful it is? You know, if something goes wrong with the projection system, you know, and uh, we all look up at Marilyn, uh, but how often do we say thank you for the fact that most of the time it goes perfectly well? You know, if the minister wears the wrong sort of clothes. No, we won't go there. (laughs) We did that last week. (laughs) If you weren't here last week, I gave the the church the choice of how to dress me. And uh, you will be surprised in their choice. (laughs) They've heard it all before. They've seen it all before. And Jesus says, you know, don't you remember? Don't you remember? And of course, the Jews... Uh, were a people that seemed to be very good at not remembering. Moses, uh, with the Israelites in the desert, had to remind them again and again and again that God was with them, and they forget, kept forgetting. And God's people do seem to have a bit of amnesia, don't they? And uh, we are no different, because it's so easy to forget what God has done. It's so easy to forget what we've seen. It wasn't that Jesus wanted them to put a big sign up and say, look, uh, let's commemorate this. Uh, but he did want them to remember what had gone on, the significance of the fact that he was the bread of life and that he did care about the needs of the people, not just the spiritual needs, but also the physical needs of the people. So when we get involved in things like food banks, uh, you know, we're doing something that Jesus was doing in feeding the poor and taking care of the poor and needy in our society. We care about people's physical needs as well as their spiritual needs. We don't just pray for people and say, you know, hard luck. We want to try and meet people's needs in the same way that Jesus met people's needs. So the dismissive disciples, they've they've heard it all before. And then, finally, the the danger, of course, in, in having seen it all before and having heard it all before is to think that you know it all. And uh, nobody likes to know it all, do they? Nobody likes to know it all. But the the reality is the longer that you've been a Christian and the longer that you've been uh, studying the Bible and listening to sermons and going to Bible studies, there's a sense in which, if you're not careful, you get to the position where you do actually think, well, I know it all. 
Uh, you know, you can't teach me anything because I know it all. And of course, that was a position that the Pharisees and the Sadducees had got themselves into. They thought that they knew it all. Because they had immersed themselves in the Scriptures, they had studied the Scriptures, and they thought that they knew what the Scriptures meant. Sadly, they had missed the point. Jesus didn't want his disciples to miss the point. He says, how is it that you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread? Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. You see that repetitiveness again? He's already said it once. He's saying it again. He wants them to get it. Now, I said I don't understand maths today. But one thing I do understand about maths is it's no point, if you're a maths teacher, in just giving the pupils the answer. You know, to the sum. They've got to be able to know how to work it out. You've got to teach them how to work it out. If you just give them the answer, next time they come to the sum and they've not got somebody who's going to give them the answer, they won't know how to work it out. And Jesus wants his disciples, he doesn't just give it them on a plate, he wants them to work it out for themselves so that they actually understand it. And sometimes, my experience as a minister is a bit like the maths teacher that just gives the answer. Sometimes it feels that people just want you to give them the answer and they don't want the hard work of actually grappling with the scriptures for themselves and working it out for themselves. I can tell you the answers that I have come to. They might not be the same answer as somebody else comes to, but I can tell you what I think. But it's better if you discover that for yourself and you do that by studying the Bible, by reading, by, by going to house groups, uh, by talking to people and sharing experiences, by reading books, by looking online. And uh, Jesus wants the disciples to get it. And he says the same thing again. And, and it seems that it sinks in. Because it says, then they understood. Whew. They've got it. They understood that he was not telling them to be on the guard against the yeast used in bed, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. The penny drops. And they understand what Jesus is talking about. And we all need to have those moments, not just occasionally, not just a long time ago, but on a frequent basis we need to experience that ah moment when we get it. Because the Pharisees misunderstood and the disciples were in danger of misunderstanding. When you get a misunderstanding, it, 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 can be, uh, it can be dangerous or it can be amusing. I came across this story. It says, in, in, the, in the days when you couldn't count on uh, public facilities to have an indoor plumbing, uh, an Englishwoman was planning a trip to Germany, and she was registered to stay in a small Zimmer, a guest house owned by a local schoolmaster and his wife. The traveller was concerned about, however, whether or not the guest house contained a WC, uh, you know, a toilet. She wrote to the schoolmaster a letter inquiring into the location of the double WC. The schoolmaster, not a fluent speaker of English, asked the local parish priest if he knew the meaning of WC. Together they pondered the possible meanings of the letter and finally decided that the lady must be referring to a wayside chapel. Apparently they concluded that that was it. So the schoolmaster wrote the following reply to the English lady. Dear madam, I take great pleasure in informing you that the WC is situated nine miles from the house. In the centre of the beautiful grove of pine trees surrounded by lovely ground. It's capable of holding 229 people. 
It's open on the Sundays and Thursdays only. As there are a great number of people expected to join the summer months, I suggest that you come early. Although usually there's plenty of standing room. This is in, in an unfortunate situation, especially if you have the habit of going regularly. It may be of some interest of you to know that my daughter was married in the WC and it was there that she met her husband. I can remember the rush there was for seats. Why, there were ten people to every seat, usually occupied by one. It was wonderful to see the expressions on their faces. You'll be glad to hear that a good number of people bring their lunch and make a day of it, while others wait until the last minute and arrive just on time. I would especially recommend your ladyship to go on a Thursday when there's an organ accompaniment. The acoustics are excellent and even the most delicate sounds can be heard everywhere. The newest addition is a bell which rings every time a person enters. A bazaar is held to provide plush seats for all since the people feel it's long needed. My wife has been ill and she's not been able to go recently. It has been almost a year since she last went, which naturally pains her very much. I shall be delighted to reserve the best seat for you where you shall be seen by all. In fact, I look forward to escorting you there myself. With kindest regards, the schoolmaster. You see, when people misunderstand, it can lead to all sorts of uh, interesting situations. Uh, The disciples were in danger of not understanding what Jesus was trying to teach them about the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000. Jesus wanted the disciples to understand for themselves that they could trust in him that he could provide in every situation. So when we find ourselves in church opening our Bibles and thinking we've heard all this before, let's not make the mistake of being dismissive disciples. When we, when we see something that we've seen before, let's not make the mistake of being dismissive disciples. Let's not forget the ways in which God has spoken to us in the past. Let's not forget the things that we have seen of God in the past. And let's not think that not only have we seen it all and heard it all, but let's never make the mistake of thinking that we know it all. Because there are new things for us to learn from God's word. God wants us to have a deeper understanding of him and his son, Jesus Christ, and what he's done for us on the cross. Let's pray together.